Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back to the House of Mystery on KKNW 1150 AM CL. I'm Al Warren. And this is Kev Thompson. Well, Merry Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not quite sure after this show. Yeah. Well, it's our annual Christmas show, and of course, we can't have a great Christmas show unless we have uh, our guest who's returning this year to uh, tell us about uh, all the good things we can expect from Christmas. So we've got Jeff Blanger. Thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be back. So, welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you. This Christmas. is uh, this is a wonderful time of year, isn't it? It is. Beautiful. It rains a lot. It's wonderful. Yeah, well, you know, I think it's got a lot of history and tradition to it. And a lot of people complain. People say humbug and things like that uh, about how commercialized it's become or, or it's lost its religious meaning and so on. I don't know. I think we here on this show today can save Christmas. <laughs> I know. Well, I, Isn't that big, right? Yeah. Oh, well, I, I certainly hope so. Because, well, my, my family is listeners, but I, I really I hate the holidays because there's so much pressure. You know, who do you go visit? What do you buy? What do you do? Yeah. You know, you got Black Friday and Black Saturday and Cyber Monday. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, we can, we can save this. I'm, I'm telling you, we can save it here today. How much time do we have to save it? Christmas <laughs> <laughs> no. is huge. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if we have enough time. But we, we have no, we do. It, it doesn't take long. So I think what you have to realize is that the roots of Christmas go back 
thousands of years. It goes back to uh, really Rome in a, in a festival called Saturnalia. And Saturnalia would take place pretty much between December 17th and December 23rd each year, which is right around the winter solstice. And this was a raging party. Uh, I mean, it was uh, they would sacrifice to the god Saturn, which is thus the name Saturnalia. It was days of partying, gift-giving, orgies, feasting, and the social structure was just thrown out the window. So, you know, servants uh, were the masters, the masters served the servants. All people were, were considered equal during this mega, mega pagan party. And this is the very roots, the foundation of, of the celebration of Christmas today. And you have to realize that when you look at the, the, the way the Earth moves around the sun, we have four distinct seasons, winter, spring, summer, fall, unless, you know, it rains all the time and then you get, like, <laughs> wet and not wet, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so you've got these seasons and you've got the halfway in between, and those are the half holidays. These are where all of the major holidays all around the world from all the different religions typically fall pretty darn close to either the, the equinox, the solstice, or halfway in between all of them. And so December 20th, 21st is typically the winter solstice. And when you're talking about northern climes, this is a, you know, to put it in perspective, you have to realize this is a time when everybody's been getting ready for three seasons for this one. You know, we, we live in spring, summer, and fall but we try to survive the winter. That's, when you're in northern climates, that's the point. You know, you're, you're growing food and storing it and getting firewood and things like that because you have to survive the winter. And Saturnalia was like this big last party uh, before the, the winter kind of sets in. So that's the earliest roots of it. But then you have to go up to the Nordic countries, and this is where uh, we get the, the festival Yule, Yuletide, you know, Yule logs and all that stuff comes from the Scandinavian region. And... This was also a party. They would all drink from uh, the, the drinking horn. They would drink beer and pass it around, and the idea that we're all equal. We all drink from the same cup. Because you kind of know you're going to have to count on your neighbor. Because if something goes wrong, if your roof caves in because of the snow or whatever, then you're going to have to count on your neighbor to get through it. And they, they understood this, and I, I feel like um, that's really part of the spirit of the season. And, and we still you know, use a lot of these traditions and ideas that come from those, those Scandinavian pagans. And I, I'm sure that runs through your blood, right, guys? I mean, you still party like it's Scandinavia, right? Well, uh, I tell you what, let's go back to this orgy thing. <laughs> yes, of uh, course. <laughs> no, I'm I, I'm just joking. No, you're not. Uh, well, <laughs> this is a this is a yeah, this is a family friendly show. Um, but now. I, I understand, and I think most people understand that, you know, it comes Christmas, it, you know, as we call it, you know, comes from a, a pagan background. But how did we begin to meld it all into, you know, Santa Claus and, you know, Bethlehem? I mean, sure. So, okay, let's, okay, if you want to jump all the way ahead to the birth <laughs> well, of Jesus well, no, and the Christmas I mean, story, then we can, <laughs> it's, it's a part of it in order. Okay, so sorry. Well, well, first, just a couple notes about the, the Nordic traditions, right? So these guys uh, would look around this harsh winter landscape, and, and imagine, you know, you're up there in these northern climates where it snows. It's, it, these are good, solid winters. And you look out, and everything is dead. All the trees, the leaves are gone. Everything is dead, except there are certain trees that are so strong, so powerful, winter couldn't kill them. Evergreens. Right? Oh, Evergreens, holly bushes. So they would look around and say, wait a minute, these trees are, are magical somehow. 
There's something about these trees. They are so strong, so powerful. Even winter can't kill it. And with all the leaves gone, they would be inside. And, and you know, you've got to remember, the days are very short, the nights are very long, and they hear this wind whipping outside, and, you know, and so on. And, and the, they believe it's, it's the god Odin riding on his eight-legged horse. And Odin is depicted as this white-bearded, you know, warrior on an eight-legged horse riding through the sky. And so what they would do is they would take down branches from these evergreens, and they would hang them over their doors and over their windows, thinking that these powerful prickly needles would keep the evil spirits out of their houses and keep, the, you know, the, keep them safe inside. And this is a tradition that we carry on. They would burn yule logs, and different trees would earn uh, you know, different, um, different things. So, for example, ash would be for protection. Aspen would be for uh, greater understanding of the world. Birch would be a, a new beginning. And the way they burn them is they would literally take the whole tree, drag it inside, and just feed it into the hearth. I mean, we're talking about a major fire hazard. All your, your <laughs> firefighting professionals out there are going, oh, dear God, you know. <laughs> you know, fire hazard beyond fire hazard. And you always started the Yule Log with last year's remnants of, of the other Yule Log. And so these traditions are carrying on in Rome. They're carrying on in the Nordic countries. And then let's just jump to the, the nativity and the, the birth of Jesus in, in Bethlehem. What we know very, very little about the actual birthday of Jesus. The only clue that we get to when Jesus was born is in the Bible, and it's Luke chapter 2, verse 8, if you want to read along. It says, shepherds were living in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. That's it. Yes. That's all we got. <laughs> so in Bethlehem, there are three seasons of the year where the shepherds could stay out all night watching their flock. <laughs> And, and uh, the one season that they don't do that would be winter. <laughs> so we can rule out winter as the birth of Jesus, but that's okay. I don't celebrate my birthday on, on my actual day each year. Sometimes it's on the weekend before or after. We all do that, right? <laughs> yeah. You know? All year. Yeah, that's okay. This doesn't undermine anything. I'm just saying that, you know, it's perfectly okay. But what happened, you know, how we got to get Christmas on December 25th was the Emperor Constantine. And in 313 A.D., he was unifying Rome under one God. It was consolidation. And so he was, how do I sell this to, to these people? And again, remember I told you, Saturnalia, the party, the orgy. Remember the orgy? Yeah. So oh, I do. The, yeah, I you do. do. So that was December 17th to the 23rd. And Constantine is like, man, I am not going to get rid of Saturnalia. This raging party has been going for centuries and centuries. Everybody loves it. I know what I'll do. I'll add two days to it. The 24th Christmas Eve, the 25th, the birth of Jesus. Christmas Day, I'm now adding two days to your six-day party. And that's something that the people could get on board with. So mm. December, December 25th, 336 was the first Christmas on, you know, celebrated on that day. And that's where it all began as far as um, you know, celebrating it on the 25th. And Santa Claus comes along uh, really not long after. Uh, this is a guy who came from the land of Myra, which is modern-day Turkey. And he was born in 270 A.D. He died on December 6, 343, and that's an important day to remember because in Europe, December 6 is St. Nicholas Day. And he, of course, was the patron saint of children. Uh, he, he was born a nobleman, gave all his wealth away, and December 6 became a very big day um, for really when, when Santa Claus comes in Europe. It was, it, we just kind of changed that over time to the 25th in America and lots of other countries. And we're such a big cultural influence that you know, it kind of caught on. But So Santa Claus uh, is December 6th, but if he's the 6th, that means 5th. 
is, a, is for another creature, and this is where things start to get dark. December 5th belongs to Krampus. Krampus is the Christmas devil. He's the enforcer. And this is when things get a little scarier. Do you guys celebrate Krampus at your house? Oh, all the time. Good. <laughs> That's good. So let me ask you, when you were growing up, when you were growing up, did you know any kids that actually got coal in their stockings or anything like that? No. <laughs> I did. Yeah, well. It's probably because of the, probably because of the orgies. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's not really much of a consequence, is it? I mean, if you're bad all year, you're, you have to just deal with coal in your stockings? That's not really that scary. Well, but, well, it, it's almost a sympathetic gesture. Yeah, you were bad, but I'm going to give you something to keep warm during these right? harsh winter months. Yeah, in, in certain parts of the world, that would be, and, and in certain, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds, that could be the, the best gift you could possibly receive. Like, thank you, I can be warm for a day. It, so, you know, you're right. And so, but the thing is, over time, we've really lost the consequence of this holiday, and Krampus represents the consequence. He is described as having horns and covered in fur and wrapped and in chains. Chains, and a, yes. And a forked, devilish tongue and, um, you know, cloven hooves for feet and human-like hands, and he carries a sack. And inside that sack, it's wiggling and moving because inside are all the naughty children. See, they don't have to worry about coal or stockings on Christmas Day. They have to worry about getting picked up, snatched in the night by Krampus, taken off to his lair, and eaten. <laughs> when Santa comes on December 6th, there's no bad kids left. They're all gone. They're dead. Santa's free to just give gifts because anyone alive on December 6th is a good kid, obviously, because Krampus took the bad ones. Oh. We've lost our way, gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah, I have to remember. Lost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So instead of the threat being like, oh, Santa's watching, you're not going to get as many presents. How about Krampus is watching? You'll be dead. Damn. <laughs> I, I know. What happened? We got soft over the years. Yeah. Yeah. So Krampus came from Germany, and he got wildly popular in the latter half of the 1800s and even in the early 1900s. You can, you can look online, and uh, I actually own a few of these, these, uh, these wonderful postcards that depict... Krampus, he's, uh, he's absolutely a devil by any description, and he was super popular. He, uh, there's hundreds and hundreds of these postcards. But the thing is, people think of him as like the anti-Santa Claus, but that's not really fair. He's a cohort. He, you know, we are talking the original good cop, bad cop. These guys worked together. They worked in unison. Santa didn't do the dirty work. It was Krampus. So Krampus does the dirty work, and then uh, there's even some postcards that show them arriving at a house together, Krampus and Santa. And, and St. Nick is there to reward the good kids, and Krampus is there to punish the bad ones. They work in unison. And so it's, it's one of the things that um, I, I think we sort of lost over time. And I don't know if you saw the, the movie. It came out a few years ago. So it's called Krampus. It's a Christmas it, movie. Yes. 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 Did, yeah. So uh, what did you think of it? Um, I, w I uh, would it would be better. Yeah, it was a sci-fi original, was it not? No, it was in theaters. It, it was, was actually out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was but, uh, yeah I, I saw it on sci-fi, and I was not impressed. <laughs> I, I understand. No, I get it. But I, I, and I realized even when I watched it opening weekend in the theater, because I was just so excited about this. And I realized, as giddy as I was through the whole movie, that I am not a fair judge of this as, like, you know, this cinematic. My cinematic review doesn't count, but I will say this. They kind of nailed what Krampus is. 
And I don't want to give away the ending or anything like that if people want to see it. Uh, but I think they nailed the spirit of what this creature is. Right? I mean, you know, we, we, it's easy to say he's evil and out to destroy us. But if you think about the Grim Reaper character, the yeah, Grim Reaper is, isn't evil, right? It's, he's just doing an awful job. He's, he's simply he's doing a job, yes. Yeah, it's, you don't have to like the job. The job is to come and, and take you away to the next you know, life and, and, and be done with your, your mortal coil here. And that's, that's not pleasant, but it is a job to do, and it doesn't make him evil. And I kind of feel this, I feel like Krampus gets a bad rap. And I got to tell you guys, where I live uh, here in Massachusetts, there was a Krampus festival planned for December 2nd. And the, uh, it, it's the fifth one. It was the New England Krampus Society. Puts this thing on, and every year it gets bigger and bigger. This year it got shut down by a church. What? And I, yeah, I kid you not. I wish I was. And, and I think that's so sad because I wish I could talk to the church and be like, I think you're missing the point. This is, this is a character that really could put butts in seats if you incorporated it right. I mean, do you want to get rid of the devil in church? Right? I mean, you kind of sort of need the devil, don't you? I mean, if you were in charge of a church? Yes. I mean, that, that's the whole point is we don't want to go there, so we'll go over here. But you I need, agree with you. you know, how can you appreciate anything good if there's nothing to compare it with? I completely agree with you. A world that's purely evil, you have no point of reference. You wouldn't think of it as evil. You think of it as normal. A world that's purely good, same problem, right? You have no, you have no choice, no free will, no, not, no comparison. It just becomes a baseline. And so I think it's so tragic, and it's something that, um, you know, I, I even the, – the church got some emails and letters, and there's been op-eds written and so on, but – they basically shut this thing down because they viewed it as just this pagan celebration and devil worship, which it just it, is not. No, nothing, no. Nothing. It, you're not you're not worshiping the devil at all. No, you're, 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 you're in, in fact. I'm sorry, I don't mean to. Don't do it. Jump in. <laughs> in fact, you're kind of making the church's point for them if you don't behave. You know, and I'm trying to you know speak kid here if yeah. you don't behave this is the consequence is that not what the church is saying if you don't live this type of life these are the consequences you're going to go to a bad place with a bad person it's almost a parallel why why would they be so opposed to that because i think it's, it's a quick snap judgment of what it is they look at it as like geez right down the street from us because this festival was taking place at a, at a venue that was rented and so on, but it was like diagonally across the street from the church. And they viewed this as this pagan devil worship. It, it, just, it just isn't. And that's and, one of the things that's so tragic. And yet, uh, you know, allow me to interject it once more. Please. Um, <laughs> however, the church is willing to integrate a lot of pagan beliefs and pagan traditions into their liturgy. Uh, for example, let, let's jump to Easter. What do eggs have any, and rabbits, have anything I mean, yeah. to do with, you know, the rebirth of, or, or the, the resurrection of their Christ? No, it, it's the goddess Esther, and, and of course, fertility rites and so on. We're teaching our children fertility in a very safe, cartoonish way, which is okay. I'm not saying that's wrong. I think it's a very good thing. You know, uh, you don't want to get graphic with young children. You want to just use symbolism, flowers and birth and eggs and bunnies and so on. Oh. And, and it makes sense to me. But you're right. It, they are very pagan uh, in their origin, as most, most of these things are. And, and that doesn't make it wrong. I can't stress that enough. 
We're not knocking down churches or religious institutions at all. When someone says, you know, you get on your knees to pray, then it makes sense. Well, pray to this God, not that God, or worship this or, or not that. If there's a long tradition of it. If you view a, a place as sacred, that's okay. Make it sacred in this belief system. Or let me show you how, you know, this deity had, to, had something to do with it. And, it. and it's an incorporation. Everything is, is a... Is, is what happens over time with folklore and legend and belief and so on. It gets stirred in a pot, and you look at it and you say, well, of course this is my symbol. The, the cross is my symbol. The, the, it's not the Egyptian Ankh, which is a cross with a loop at the top. You know, it's not this or that. It's, it's, it's mine because you don't even know the backstory anymore. It doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't undermine anything. It just means that you've built off of thousands of years of traditions and incorporated them into something that works for you. And that's okay. It's perfectly okay. Um, but I think to ignore the, the backstory means to not understand how you got here and not get the whole picture. And so a character like Krampus, and Krampus isn't alone, by the way. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's many other figures out there. And, and even Santa Claus, just to jump back to him real quick. So you've got this guy, uh, Nicholas, who dies in, in 336, and then eventually he is uh, sainted by the church, and his legend of generosity grew to the point where the, the figure became something bigger than the man, you know? And, and then uh, he, he moved from December 6th to December 25th. Uh, suddenly he's got a team of, of, you know, eight reindeer that fly through the sky, and it grows and it grows and it grows, and, and it's, it's become who he is today. He's half secular, half religious, and so on. And that's all okay. He belongs to all of us. We redefine him year after year with our own children, our own families, with the movies that come out, with the way we talk about him. He's redefined year after year. And I think what's interesting is, I've said before, when you talk about a legend, a legend is a living, breathing thing. It can't be disputed. It is as real as, as the, you know, your, your desk, your feet, your car, your house, whatever. If, for example, if I say Bigfoot, I don't have to say anything else. You have a picture in your mind. Now, will we go find a dead one in the woods? I don't know. You know, will we find a live one? I, I don't know. But I do know that when I say the word Bigfoot, you have a picture. When I say Santa Claus... I, I, I see right? a big truck. You see a big truck, yeah, right, with the wheels and, yeah, it crushes the small cars, right? I'm just playing. <laughs> no, you're from Alabama. You said that, I know. You guys love that down there. It's so... <laughs> No, but, it, but you know what I'm saying? And so when I say Santa Claus, right now, you've got a picture in your mind, and it's probably really close to the picture in my mind, you know, the, the red suit and the beard and all that other stuff, which we really, if there's anyone we can thank for that, it's not Jesus or the church, it's Coca-Cola. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> they gave us that image, you know, in, in the 19, uh, 19-teens and so on, and, and, and we've run with it ever since. And, and again, it's okay, you know, in 1931, excuse me, that was the first Coke ad that featured Santa and, uh, and, and really defined the, uh, the image that we, we still think of today, the, the fur-lined suit, the red suit, the hat, everything. Yeah. But and still he was, that hat. He was, he was a real character, St. Nick. Absolutely, he's a real person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, St. Nick, and, and not only that, uh, and, and worth celebrating, by the way, this guy was born wealthy, uh, orphaned, and spent his whole life giving it away to help others. That's all he wanted to do is help other people. And, and that's just not a bad example. You know, just a guy that just, he was happiest when he was helping people, especially children, poor people, throwing money through their, their open windows at night if, if they needed money for food or clothing or whatever. And, man, if, that, if you can't get behind that, then 
check yourself. You know, you might not be human. This was is it, a good was thing. Was like Michael Jackson? No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have other questions? <laughs> uh, well, well it is, it, is that not where the stockings came from? Yeah, they would the leave stockings. their... No, see, first you would leave your shoes out outside, and he would slide the, the, the gifts, the candy, the money into the shoes outside of your door. And then eventually it moved uh, inside. People would hang their stockings to dry them. You'd wash them and dry them by the fire. So hanging them was, was kind of like hearkening back to that tradition. And then Santa eventually would come into your house through the chimney, whatever. I mean, now we're talking Santa, not, not Nicholas from Myra, but, you know, the, the actual Santa Claus. Uh, so, so the story just evolves, but it builds on centuries and centuries of traditions, and and all of that is really kind of wonderful, you know. And, I, and when I think about that, when I I go ahead and hang my wreaths now, I think about, hey, I do want to keep bad spirits out, I, because we all get cranky and grumpy around this time of year. We can't help it, you, you know. It, it's a lot of pressure, like you said, when, what family to visit and who's going to bake what, and do I have enough money to pay for presents for family and kids and all this other stuff, and all these things, but man, if I can keep those bad spirits outside with, with hanging a wreath and putting up some lights, that's great. That makes my life happier, even if it's only for a few weeks in December. This is a good thing, but it comes from a long tradition. You know, and, and there is a there is actually a paranormal parallel to this. Because that, it, it, that is why, you know, and, I, and I'm talking about the, the spiky wreath. That is why they used to surround cemeteries with point, pointed fence, because they figured that the bad spirits would get caught on those points. Sure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. No, and there's, this, and there's so many other little traditions. For example, have you ever been stuck under the mistletoe? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> yeah. He hangs there. All yeah. the time. I'm you just, just waiting, waiting, wait. yeah. waiting. Yeah. I Please. post myself there. <laughs> right. So the, the mistletoe is a great story. It's uh, the goddess Frigg, who is uh, she's a, a Norse goddess. Norse goddess. She's the mother of Baldar, who's the god of summer. And Baldar dreams of his own death. And so uh, the goddess Frigg makes makes a deal with. She felt this was an omen that her son was going to die. So she makes this deal with uh, water, earth, and sky that nothing in their domains would do any harm to Baldar. And so that was okay. But she overlooked one thing, you know, she, there is something that doesn't grow in water, earth, or sky, and that thing is mistletoe. Because what mistletoe is, is it's actually like a parasite that grows on a tree. So it, it kind of, it, it dodges all the bullets. It doesn't come from the ground, it grows from a tree itself. So the god, uh, Loki god, he's the god of evil, he made an arrow that was tipped with mistletoe, and he gave it to the blind god of winter and told him to aim it at Baldar, who he didn't know. He was aiming at it. And when it struck, when it struck Baldar, he died. And so for three days, all the creatures of the earth and water and sky tried to revive Baldar, but it was only his mother's tears that dripped into him that, that brought him back to life. And her tears turned into these pearly white balls on the mistletoe branch. And it was decreed that no harm should ever come to anyone who stands under the mistletoe and the only thing you're allowed to do under that is a, a, a token kiss as a symbol of love when you're under it. That's the tradition. It goes back to you know, this, this Norse uh, mythology, and it's really kind of a cool story when you think about it. It's really not so much about stealing a kiss as it is just maintaining the peace, which if you're a married person with a family, you know maintaining the peace in December is more <laughs> difficult than any other month. <laughs> right? <laughs> 
Because I stand under it all the time, and nobody will ever kiss me. Yeah, that's sad, isn't it? No. I mean, they don't have the story. I'm looking out the window right now, and actually I've got mistletoe growing in my trees right now. So the good news is one thing. Maybe this year. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, when they hear the story, you know, they'll, they'll, I bet there's a kiss coming the second the show ends. They're going to hear it and they go, oh, come on, come here, yeah, pucker I'm up. running. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, but, okay, so let's say Krampus is, is a little much for you. You're, you're, you know, you love your children, and you're all for, like, the discipline of it, but you're thinking, you know what, I don't want them to think they might actually die. Because in the old days, you could be like, hey, if you wake up on December 6th, good news, you made it, <laughs> right? If you wake up alive, <laughs> imagine going to bed, they say, like, oh, I can't sleep the night before Christmas. Of course not, you think you're going to die, right? You're, you're like, there's no, there's no uh, sugar pump fairies going through your head, it's daggers and teeth and horns. But but there's another character who is like Krampus light, and he also comes from Germanic folklore, and he's called the Belsnickel, which is translates to Nicholas and Furs. And the Belsnickel is not going to murder or eat your child. The Belsnickel is just going to beat him mercilessly. So <laughs> so this is this is kind of an alternative. I guess. It, it, so the, the Belsnickel shows up around the 1830s. And the thing about the bell cycle is he could be, every community had one, and each year you would take turns deciding who it would be. So one year it could be me, it could be you next year, and so on. And the bell cycle shows up to homes uh, a, couple, a week, two weeks or so before Christmas, and he would, might like throw candy on the floor. And if kids jump for it before it's offered to them, the bell cycle will pull out a, a sticks, a switches of sticks and, and hit the kids. And the bell cycle will ask the parents, are there any naughty children here? And they might point and say, oh, yeah, Al here's been naughty. Mm. <laughs> and so the Belsnickel takes Al to the backyard, ties him to a tree, and beats him with a stick. <laughs> but, he won't, but he won't kill you, Al, because he's saying, all right, now it's time to behave and be a good boy. And if you keep behaving, then Santa will come and bring you a present. So he's there to just get you back on the right path. So this, the thing is, this tradition uh, did come over to the United States. And it's still kind of popular, especially in, like, Pennsylvania Dutch country. Um, still still celebrated that way. But I'm starting to see him in other places. There's a um, – uh, I, I do a, a, some projects for PBS, and there is a historic home in Connecticut, Niantic, Connecticut, called the Smith-Harris House. 
And they decided years ago, we're not going to do St. Nicholas. We're going to do a Belschnickel event. And each year they bring in the Belschnickel now, and it's become more and more popular every year. And before, and let me answer the question you're about to ask before you ask it. No, sadly, he can't beat the children that are brought there. Oh, <laughs> oh. damn it. <laughs> I know. It's like, what's the point? But uh, he does carry a stick, and he does bring candy, and he does tell stories, which is really great. And, uh, but I think it's, it's pretty neat that there, these, these characters, these legends, are kind of coming back. And I think they're coming back because we need them. We are summoning Krampus. We're summoning the Bellsnickel, just as we do any legend that we need. Yeah. That's, that's real, you know? I mean, they're, they're, a legend only dies when we stop talking about it. And they can go dormant, they can go to sleep, and we can wake them up again. And I think that's what's been happening these last few years. And proof of it is even if you didn't like the Hollywood movie, you know, Krampus, the fact that it got to be a Hollywood movie and got widescreen release and gets played on television tells you that we are talking and thinking about this character more than we have been for the last, you know, 80, 90 years. And, you know, I was just thinking about you when I was at the department store the other day because on the end of a, a shelf there was the um, Elf on a Shelf. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So the Elf on the Shelf... I would say is really there's a in Sweden there's a, a character called the Tomten, and he's a house spirit and he's kind of mischievous but he's also really necessary. Uh, you you have to realize that the the Tomten would would be there and he would kind of keep you in line. So not just a uh, and all year round by the way, not just at, at Christmas time. The Tomten. Would, if, you weren't, if you were neglecting your animals, the Tompton might come in and beat you, uh, if, but also would help, you know, help you with house chores and things like that. And, and the Tompton is like all beard, like it's, it's your typical little like gnome-like creature, you know, long white beard, very short in stature, you know, maybe come up to your knee at, at tops. You'd hardly ever see him. And all he asks for his services all year round is that on Christmas Eve you leave out a bowl of, of sticky, sweet, Rice pudding. That's all he asks. You do that, and he will stick around for another year and keep helping. And the worst thing that Tompkins can do to you is leave. Is say, I've had enough. Forget it. No pudding. You're, you're being cruel or not kind to each other. I'm out. You get no help. That's the worst thing that can happen. This is really the original elf on a shelf, this thing that's always there, always watching, moving around, helping you, keeping you in line, and so on, and only wants a reward once a year. And so you just make this pudding, and you put it out. In, in the Swedish tradition, this pudding is really popular. You might put raisins in it or whatever, but it's just a, a sweet rice pudding that is often served around the holiday season. And leaving a food offering out is something is a tradition that goes back through many, many cultures, the Gaelic culture, leaving food out for the dead and so on. Um, mm -hmm. this, this goes on and on. And now we still do it, right? I mean, I don't know about at your house, but on Christmas Eve, we put cookies out for, for yeah, Santa. I started, that's exactly what I started to say. You're leaving cookies and milk out for Santa Claus. Yeah, of course. So we still do it. We still leave this, this reward out for that, the, the spirit of that thing that, that keeps us in line all year. Except now he's got help. And so the, the elf on the shelf is very much you know uh, pulled from that, that Tompton tradition. But I had an idea that I would love to see. And, you know, as soon as I get some, some seed money, I'm ready to hire a manufacturing company to make me, like, a, a six-foot inflatable Krampus in the corner. You know? <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> you guys want in on the ground floor or what? Yes. <laughs> I'm going right? to do it. 
So each 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 morning, you know, the Krampus is in a different corner, just watching. <laughs> you know, like, oh God. <laughs> I'd keep that thing out all year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna put it at the foot of my daughter's bed and then wake her up. Yeah. Oh, look, Krampus is here, honey. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I love it. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So now, what about, um, you know, uh, Christmas songs and things? Yeah. So one of my favorite ones um, is, God, what was it? 19, it was 1963, Andy Williams. Uh, you know, it, it's there's that line in the song. It says, there'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. And one of the traditions for the longest time, including, I mean, that song came out in 1963, right? This is not ancient history. So even back then, it was very normal that you would tell ghost stories, especially Christmas Eve. That's a long tradition that we got away from. Really, only in the last 30, 40 years did that start to go away. Women's magazines used to publish them. Here's a, here's a scary ghost story for your, your fireplace this Christmas. Uh, it's so it's a shame that we got away from that because it is, you know, you're talking about really long nights. It is a scary time of year. Think about some of the, the, the great horror stories ever. Um, you know, uh, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. I remember that bleak December. You know, it takes place in December. The, the idea you've, you've got this, this cold winter night settling in. And we've gotten away from that, that tradition, and I don't know why. Um, that one, and the good, good thing is, anyone listening out there, you can bring it back. You can bring it back in, in your own home. You can go ahead and start telling these stories again. And, and I think it's a shame because we get in touch with something pretty primal when we get broken down and when it's quiet. And that primal part of us connects us to our ancestors, to our own family traditions, to our own heritage, and so on. And ghost stories do that. Ghost stories literally bring the past to the present. That's why they're so powerful. That's why we, we love them so much, because they serve us in, in doing that. And, and they haunt us, and we think about them, and they, they keep gnawing at us. And that's what makes ghosts so great, one of many, many things. And so that's a tradition that I would love to see us bring back. I mean, we hear that song every year in the damn grocery store, and, we don't, and we, the line goes right by us. You know, a little scary ghost stories, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but why not bring it back? Oh, there you go. Um, <laughs> now, Christmas lights, that's one thing. Where did they come from? Christmas lights come from China. I don't know where you buy yours, but <laughs> oh, if, you, uh, if you read the back of the box, they all say the same thing, made oh, in China. Uh, that's, that we're moving, into, we're moving into Victorian times now. And the, in Victorian times, that's when uh, uh, Christmas trees, the evergreen, starts to become symbolic, really. Uh, and again, nothing new, but now we're bringing it indoors. And, and to light it, you have to realize, again, these are really short days, really long, dark nights. So candlelight becomes representative of, um, you know, kind of like, like getting through the night. And so candles started to be placed on these trees, which, again, fire hazard, totally. Um, and, and many a home was lost to this tradition, but it was also an important part of it, you know, to light the tree. And depending on your religious bend, you could either take it as pagan or you could take it as, you know, the light of Jesus lighting the night, and he is the eternal light. And, and so on, the star at the top of the tree, you know, representing the, the star that showed over Bethlehem or the angel yes. on top of the tree. That's okay. All good. That, this is what we do. We take these, this pagan evergreen 
and we Christianize it, and that's totally okay to do if that's that's your belief system. Totally fine, all good. And and so we we you know all of our religious practices, traditions, and so on. You really have to think of it as like a gumbo or a stew, you know. And and year after year we add new ingredients. There's there's stuff in there that goes way way back. But every time we add something new, you get a new flavor, you get a new thing, and that's that's really what this holiday is. Every year we change the recipe just a little bit, and that's kind of interesting. It's, it must reflect the times. It must serve what we need it to serve, and so that's what we do each year. And so when people get all hung up on like, oh, you you got to you know keep the Christ in Christmas. Well, it, religiously speaking, Christ was the, the the birth story is really not an important part of Christianity. It just isn't. The resurrection, that's the kicker. Everyone's born. How many people die and come back? Christians will tell you only one. That's so the Easter. resurrection, Easter is a, if you're, I mean, if you're really a, a, a Christian to the, to the letter, that's the big holiday. It's just not Christmas. And in fact, you know, way back when, the only, you only, get, only noble people concerned themselves with their birthdays. The commoners didn't care. You, you forgot all about it. It was not, a, it was not an important day. It was noble people, and only when uh, that got to be more of a big deal did they say, like, well, Jesus needs a day. This is an important figure. We need a day, and that was another, another reason to, to put a stake in the ground and say, okay, December 25th, that will be the day, and it, and it grew, and it grew into legendary status, even though one thing most biblical scholars agree on is that his birthday was not December 25th, even if you can't pinpoint it. So, well, it would have been around March or April from what I'm being told. Yeah, I, yeah, that's what I've heard as well, and it, it, it would be, you know, springtime. Um, but again, like I said, I celebrate my birthday sometimes two weeks later if I'm traveling or working or whatever, you know? It's all good. Yeah, every two years yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> leap years, every leap year. Yeah, tough break, yeah. tough break. But the good news is you're, you're you know, you're 75% uh, less old than us. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Now, Jeff, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, for the sake of the listeners, the similarities between Santa Claus and the stories of Nimrod. You know, yeah. you've, you've got the virgin birth, you know, you've got the white and red, you've got him, you know, riding around the Christmas tree. Are there really that many similarities? Yeah, well, you know, so every tradition, right, borrows from others. And, and the virgin birth is in the Epic of Gilgamesh. And, you know, this, again, we're going back to a time where women were really seen as property, and their virginity was, was absolutely all important. And so a virgin birth would be something that's just like, that's, that's just the biggest deal possible. And that happens in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which predates the Bible and so on. So, but yet, there's, uh, there's a great flood in the Epic of Gilgamesh. There's a great flood in the Bible. There's a virgin birth in the Epic of Gilgamesh. There's a great, there's a virgin birth, and you know, and so on. And so this is this is the kind of thing that, um, as we move forward, we can't help but borrow from those who came before us, to the point where a story gets told and retold so many times that we don't even know, you know, the origins of it anymore. If, if you'd allow me a quick digression here, um, I'm currently Absolutely. working. On, yeah, so I'm working on a project. Uh, I wrote a book called Who's Haunting the White House. And I'm turning that book into an audio book, which has been so much fun to work on. And I want you guys to picture Abraham Lincoln right now in your mind. You know what he looks like. Pull out a $5 bill if you need to. So you got Lincoln, 
And I want you to, to hear the first line or so of the Gettysburg Address. You got it? Well, it's Christmas. I don't have a $5 bill. I know. Right, yeah, you spent it. You gave it to the guy with the jingling bell outside of the store. So so the thing about it is you've probably got a, a voice in your head that sounds something like four score and seven years ago, right? Am I close? Yes. Yeah, we don't know what Lincoln's voice sounded like because he died before audio recording was ever invented. Yet somewhere along the way, some actor said this is what he should sound like. Even though if you read newspaper descriptions of the day, Lincoln's voice was shrill and high-pitched and didn't seem to fit his tall body. Yet every actor steals every other actor's idea of what his voice sounds like to the point where we have an expectation. We all know what Lincoln's voice sounds like. It sounds like him in the Hall of Presidents at Disney and uh, Gregory Peck in the, in the 1980 miniseries and the, the guy that was in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Every actor has stolen every other actor's idea of it to the point where it's become this homogenized expectation of a thing. And that's what happens with you know, stories and folklore and religions and so on. A story can get told and retold so many times that we go, yeah, no, this is mine. This is my story. This is, belongs to my culture. To the point where Lincoln's voice, you now know what it sounds like, even though where every actor just ripped off someone who came before him, who just someone just decided along the way, this is what it would have sounded like. This sounds noble and, and whatever. That happens. You tell a story enough, and it becomes your truth. Well, there you have it. I know, sorry. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. Sorry for the Lincoln digression, but I've, I've been working on it lately, and it's been really interesting. <laughs> But think about it. One more second on that. So, like, think about it. I, I, we're working on this audio project, and I'm like, I need a Lincoln voice actor. And this guy I work with, who's great, he's a great voice actor, he says, well, really, I think I could, just reading these newspaper accounts, it would be kind of like four score and seven years ago, you know? And I'm like, oh, but you can't do that, because no one would believe it. They'd be like, that's not Lincoln, even though that might be way closer to the mark. We couldn't get away with it. We had to duplicate what everyone else did. Isn't that weird? Now, uh, another little factoid about Lincoln, since we're on this topic, and yeah, I'm we're here. Now. here. <laughs> yeah, you brought it up, not me. I know, my fault, my fault. <laughs> the reason that he grew a beard oh, is because uh, uh, he was talking about running for president, and wasn't it a young girl that you know, saw that he had acne, and she's like, well, you need to cover that up. And so he grew a beard to cover his acne. That's right. Yeah, no, it was, a, it was a letter from a little girl who said, you'd look better with whiskers. And uh, he did. And he tried it and kept it. And it became, you know, part of his iconic look. Sometimes that's all it takes. So there you go, listeners. That's, that's free. That's free from us. <laughs> We're charging for the rest? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They pay for the other. Uh, oh, fair enough. <laughs> the Christmas zombie horse. <laughs> Are you talking about the Grilla? Uh, Mary Lude. No, no, I don't know that one. Oh, okay. Drop it on me. What is it? Uh, it was just said it's a, um, a skeleton mare of Welsh tradition rises from the dead and wanders the streets. Um, what else does she do? Um, oh, reminds the living of their existence. Has, has cool. only one goal in mind, to get into your house to keep the zombie horse out. Wait, the zombie horse wants to keep the zombie horse out? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, that's why I'm talking to the professional. I thought I'd wow. find out. Um, yeah. I, I don't know that. So, okay, in Bulgaria, there's a creature called 
that Karakonkalis, and it's a shapeshifter, and he appears during the Christmas holiday. He's said to lurk in the shadows, and he awaits the, the arrival of a passerby. And the thing is, this, this creature, if, if you spot him, he might ask, them, ask you a riddle. And if the word black is not incorporated into the answer, the person basically receives a death blow from this monster. And the thing is, he's a shapeshifter, which means he can look like anything, including Aunt Agnes. So you have to be careful about who you allow into your home. Because once he gets inside, you're in real trouble. So that's interesting that it sounds sort of similar to this other tradition that comes from Bulgaria. Yeah, it must be. I'm just looking at it. It's right beside my babushka. (laughs) 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 Well, you know, hey. And I see your Tompton and uh, Belsnickel and uh, Perry Fotard. Uh, Black Peter? Yeah, Black Peter. Yes. So Black Peter is, um, that one is is going away because our society wants him to. Yeah. And the thing about Black Peter is it's it's pretty pretty racist. It comes from the Netherlands. (laughs) And uh, so what happened is uh, around 1850, Black Peter shows up, and he's basically a moor child that was rescued by Santa, who then pretty much became Santa's servant slash slave, really. So it's it's not a it's not a nice story, and uh, often Black Peter in modern times is portrayed by a Caucasian person dressed in blackface, which is just pretty horribly racist, even in other parts, even in the Netherlands. And so in recent years, um, there's been serious protests over this. So they they have these parades that they run every year, and uh, you know Black Black Peter comes in, and there's been more and more protests to the point where we're really you know kind of doing away with it, society, society saying, like, this is, you know, this harkens to a very racist tradition in, 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 our, in our past, not just in America, but in other countries as well, and I think it's time to let this one go. And when you think about Santa owning slaves, that sounds ridiculous. It sounds the antithesis to what Santa is supposed to be, but then you start thinking about the elves. <laughs> you go, wait a minute. I mean, what's the difference? <laughs> right. Uh, my uh, my my daughter loves the show Glee, and they had a. We were watching some older episodes, and, and one of them, one of the girls leans into one of the Santa's elves and says, "Like, you know, you're free. You can run away." <laughs> it's just one of those comments where you're just like, "Yeah, that's right. Where, where can the elves go if they don't want to keep making toys for free for just room and board?" That's why you put them at the North Pole. Where the heck are you gonna go? Yeah, right, exactly. You're just like, it's like being on an island. This is it. You got me or nothing. Yeah, well, there you go. You couldn't ask for more. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, all these traditions are, we make them what we make them, and they change and they evolve. And like, like Black Peter is a good example of one. It's time to go. You know, this, this is our society's, you know, should move on from that. And, and we should maybe be a little bit ashamed of it and just do away with it. Um, because that's that's not where we want to be right now, and um, and you're allowed to do that. You know, I, I think sometimes you don't. You're allowed to let a tradition go. You don't keep doing it just because you've done it. You do it because it has meaning and importance right now, or you change it. And that's one of the things that I think people get hung up on. Like, well, we've always done a thing this way, therefore it should never change. And well, you know, slavery was around for a long time, and that should change. And and you know, equal rights 
was not a thing for a long time. You know, it's, it's, it's okay to change and evolve. It's important, and you're allowed to change and evolve the story and the legend to, to suit you as you need it. Well, Jeff, before we let you go, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. Okay? okay? Yes. <laughs> because you, you have got to solve something for me that has, I have been struggling with for years. I'll try. Oh, here, here we go. Put your hat on. All right. Is the amount that you spend on a person representative of the love you have for them, or is it really the thought that counts? Oh, no, it's a dollar amount. We live in America, so. <laughs> Oh, doggone you. Doggone you. <laughs> I tell all my family and friends, listen, it doesn't have to be practical. As long as it's expensive and really puts you out, that's all I care about. Put it with the others. I may never play with it. Doggone. <laughs> we're going to have to edit that out. No. You should edit that out. Because honestly, like, I tell my, you know, my daughter's 10, and uh, when she draws me a picture or makes me something, like, that's when I get all warm and fuzzy. When she... You know, when you get, like, another mug, number one dad, you're like, oh, that's nice, but something homemade is always better. Uh, I'm oh, just playing. Humbug. I know, I know. Listen, no, I got to say, like, I, uh, you guys know from, from my own background, I'm really a Halloween guy. I love ghosts and legends and haunted places, and I'm so crazy busy in the fall doing programs and lectures and events and interviews and then this time of year comes, and I, I love it for so many reasons, because it's got its own legends and its own lore and, and, and its own ghosts, but also because I get to slow down a little bit. And I, I realize, after researching all this stuff for a few years now, I've really come to embrace every little piece of it. I know what the tree represents, and I know what it represents to me. And I know what hanging that wreath on the door means to me when I put it up. I really want to keep the bad spirits out. I do. Um, because it's, they're easy to sneak in during this time of year when we get stressed out. And I love the lights, and I love to light up this, this long, dark night. And, and I love the idea that, you know, we're, we're getting ready to hunker down and survive the winter and look out for each other, our neighbors, our family, our friends, and so on, because it's, it's a tough time, you know, when you, when you have to get through that until we're, we all come out of hibernation and, and, and greet the sun again. And, and I think that's all just awesome. And, and instead of just doing it because this is how you've done it every year and this is where you put the wreath and this is where you put the lights up, give that some thought and give some thought about the, the millennia of traditions that are coming together from ancient Roman times through the Middle Ages, through the Dark Ages, all the way up to, you know, decades and centuries ago, and you were allowed to bring any piece of it that suits you into it. And that's really cool. That's the spirit of this thing. That's the ultimate gift. And so I really, truly do embrace this holiday. Well, it's on that note that we'll say goodbye, and we're going to wish all of our listeners a great Christmas and New Year's, and we'll see you back in the New Year. And our guest has been the Christmas specialist, Jeff Blanger. Thank you for being here. Thank you. To find out more about our show, guests, or listen to a previous show, visit our website at www.somethingweirdmedia.com. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you! If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, 
or show, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.